life. And this passage from Titus, last week we were talking about holiness. This week we are continuing to speak in the same vein about holiness. But this passage from Titus chapter 2 uh, hones in on a particular aspect of our Christian lives that we often forget. And that is that we are saved and then left here for a reason. We're not saved and then gathered up to glory. We are to, uh, <clears throat> to be here as a certain witness and certain kind of people. And so uh, today we are looking at that. Um, I'm just, by the way, checking was the, uh, the button pressed on the recorder. Okay, we're good? Good. Okay, so, I have four points, but I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to keep us here very long. Um, You can pray for that. You always do. So, here we are, verse 11 of chapter 2 says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. By all men there it means all kinds of men, not just talking to Israel, but because Paul is the apostle of the Gentiles, he's going to all men, do you see? So he's referring to that. The grace of God, of course, that brings salvation is in Jesus Christ. But that grace was bought at a great cost, at the, uh, meet the death and maltreatment of the Son of God himself. That grace comes to us not because of anything that is in us, and we must always and constantly keep that in mind. There's nothing in us that uh, merits this, um, this bestowal of grace. It comes to us because of who God is, because of his nature, because of his goodness. So grace gives us a, a tremendous, um, a tremendous inroad into the kind of God the, who God is that God is sorry about my grammar there the kind of God that God is God is not to be thought of as this grimacing angry um, ticked off kind of God who spends his time grumbling and wishing we weren't the way that we were and is angry or displeased with us all the time. We must keep that idea of God out of our minds because, you see, that that kind of a God is not a God of grace. How can a God like that, who's always and constantly dissatisfied, how can he be at the same time a God of grace? He can't. Grace is that which looks at us and tells the truth about us, but then there's something greater, something that wells up in him that is far more overpowering than the effect of our sin upon him, and that is the effect of his goodness upon us. And it overflows in this idea of grace. So Paul here begins with this underlining comment about 
salvation coming by grace. It can only come by grace, folks. It can only come by grace. In chapter 3 and verse 4, it speaks about the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man. The kindness and love. Well, that's not a, a, uh, an angry God. That's not a disgruntled deity. That's not somebody who is aloof and uh, will not appease us or will not relate to us until we finally do the things that we're supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, when we can put a smile on his face, that, uh, that is the only time that he's going to look kindly towards us. No! No, the kindness and the love of God come to us. Notice that the love of God involves kindness and involves grace. So on that basis, Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 2, at the beginning there, that this grace teaches us to do certain things. The first thing that it does is it teaches us self-denial. Self-denial. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. And I link that up with verse 3 in chapter 3. For an example of that. We ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So if you want to know what denying ungodliness and worldly lust is, it's denying all of that and more. Denying the flesh. Denying uh, a focus on ourselves and attention being on ourselves. That attention, of course, can be uh, put in uh, different ways. It can be expressed in us thinking we're number one, us thinking that it's all about us and uh, us being willing to do anything and everything in order to forward our ambitions. Or it can be us feeling that we have got the rough, rough end of the stick, us being embittered, us being depressed and confused because of our lot. It's the same thing. It's still I, 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 I. Do you see that? And we must deny that. A person who uh, thinks that it's all about them has got to deny that lie. It's not all about you. It's all about God living through you. And a person who is letting everything get on top of them and feeling down and feeling put upon and getting depressed because of that there are other reasons for depression I understand but a lot of depression is because of that they must deny that it's not about you stop including that huge word in every conversation you have with us with yourself that huge word being I get rid of it okay I this I that I no 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 Get rid of the I and put God back in there. Focus 
away from yourself and toward God. Self-denial. Self-denial comes first before the rest of the list. Why? Well, because the, the, the initial problem is us. The problem is us wanting to be independent of God. And so we've got to stop in our tracks. We've got to say no to ourselves. And then we've, you know, when we say no, then we've got to know what we're saying no to. So we have to examine our lives. What is it in my life that's making me independent of God? What is it in my life that's not making me rely on him? What is is it in my life that I'm prizing What are the idols that I have in my heart? Do you see? Self-denial must come first. We must deal with ourselves. We don't go uh, out to God and say, God, just bless me, just bless me, just bless me, without looking at ourselves first and thinking about, hey, God, search me and know me. See if there is any evil way in me. That's the attitude, do you see? We have to, as it were, create space in our lives for God to fill with what he wants in our lives. Before I was a, a Christian, I was constantly filling my life with distractions, yes? Usually in the, in the alcohol and parties and the things that go with all of that. Distractions, trying to fill in the void. Some people do it though with, with just, you know, the vanities of the world or with ambition or with money or with uh, focus on friendships and, and uh, distractions of all different kinds. It doesn't matter what it is. They need to be gouged out, as it were got rid of so that those voids appear for what they are huge gaps in our life that only God can fill and then we allow God to fill that gap do you see chapter 3 verse 3 says we ourselves were once foolish what is foolishness? foolishness is uh, Uh, A fool is somebody who is told to do the right thing and ignores it. Isn't that straightforward? Well, who tells us to do the right thing? God more than anyone else. God will always tell us to do the right thing. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. Disobedient. Disobedient. Where is it in our lives that we are disobedient to the Word of God? Deceived. The world is in, well, the thrall of the wicked one. The devil is a liar and the father of lies and he is the God of this age and so therefore we live in an age that is filled with lies. Which means that people are deceived. I mean it follows, doesn't it? 
we are not supposed to be deceived. Why? Because we have another word. We have another authority. We should be listening to another voice. Serving various lusts. And that's easy to do. We've got these five senses and they go astray. And if, we're not, if we don't watch our mind and we don't watch our eyes and we don't watch our ears, we'll be led astray so easily into these various lusts and pleasures. These diversions, they're all around us. Life is supposedly made up of this. At least to the Western world, but it's not. And then it talks about living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And for many of us, we may not think, well, we're not like that. But we do recognize these things. And we have been guilty of these things. Anger for no reason. Uh, envy of other people. Why? Because we're, we're still in the flesh. We're not denying ourselves and looking at Jesus, do you see? So, grace teaches self-denial. That's the first thing. Have we got that? Good. Next part of chapter 2, verse 12, says that we should live, this is positive, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. So, self-denial comes first and then we are to live positively, Positively, in these ways, in a sober way, a righteous way, and a godly way. The word sober here basically means wisely or even sensibly, in the sense of common sense. I mean, sanctified common sense, okay? Sanctified common sense. We are to live in a way that we are not caught out by the world and we're not caught out by our own sinful inclinations. We have to be sober, clear-minded. So when the policeman asks uh, the driver, have you been drinking, sir? He wants to know whether he is intoxicated with something, or whether he is what? Sober, clear in his thinking, so that he can drive the car. We are to be clear in our thinking, in our outlook, and we can be clear only when we are in the Word of God, related to the people of God, serving God, praying to God. So, to be sober, that has to do with the mind and our thinking and our outlook, do you see? Righteous. Well, we covered this last week, and uh, as I've said here um, in my comments about the previous point, righteousness has to do with going in the right path. It's the opposite of being foolish and disobedient. We need to know what the right way is. We need to walk it in an upright way. And then we will be called righteous. It's just yielding to the word of God through the power of the spirit. And then godly. God inclined. 
inclined towards God, folk, you know, not forgetting about God, not diminishing God, not making God small in our lives. Live godly. Chapter 3, verse 2 says, We speak evil of no one, peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. There it is. There's your illustration. Sounds easy. I mean, it's just a few words, isn't it? Speak evil of no one. Peaceable. Gentle. Showing all humility. You know, we sometimes we would uh, we would think when we run into certain Christians that humility is not a fruit of the spirit, and that humility is not something that we're supposed to be working on. But look, look, I started off by talking about self denial. God demands self denial. How on earth are you going to start on the path to godliness if you are not willing to humble yourself? It's not possible to deny yourself unless you humble yourself first, is it? And it's not possible to keep on pleasing God in your life unless you constantly humble yourself. And that's not easy. Because it's not natural. But grace, remember grace teaches that to you. Did Jesus humble himself? Okay. Well, I think then we can too. Grace teaches us. Verse 13 in chapter 2 continues this thought by telling us that we are to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. Notice the deity uh, passage there. Jesus Christ is our great God and Saviour. If he is not God to you, he cannot be your Saviour. Jesus Christ is divine. And we're looking for the appearance of Jesus Christ the second coming of Christ and when he comes he comes as God and we're to look towards him yes we are to be focused on the second coming yes we are in a sense to be heavenly minded why not good grief are we supposed to be earthly minded no look the reality is ahead of us the 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 game is all messed up right now. The one who's going to, to bring coherence to the picture, to mix my metaphors, is Jesus when he comes back. He's going to rearrange everything. He's going to put things right. He's going to be what we intuitively sense. The one who rearranges the world in the way that we know that it should be arranged. I mean, from the, the, the biggest thing to the smallest thing. So, they're not going to be floods and, and uh, 
famines. And there are not going to be little bugs that come along and burrow into your skin and give you diseases. And there is not going to be uh, people taking advantage of other people. He's going to put that which is wrong right. So we'll look forward to his appearing. Because we remind ourselves, he has been given this world. And he is going to reign upon the world. Now in order to, in order to do that, folks, in order to do that, he had to die in it first. He had to become a victim of it first. But no longer, not when he comes back, no more is he a victim. No, he's the one who will clear up everything. So we look forward to that. Why would a Christian not look forward to the coming of Christ? I'm looking forward to Christ and his kingdom because I know that my name and your name, if you're a Christian is already on the rolls of the age to come. Chapter 3 helps us again here. Verse 7. Having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm an heir of eternal life, so I'm impatient for it. I want my hope to come. I want my hope to be solidified because I know when my hope is solidified I know that your hope is solidified I know that the hope of, of millions of Christians many of them persecuted in this world I know that that is realised of course I want that to happen so I live in expectation of the coming and living in that expectation is coupled together with an understanding of the grace of God that has brought me salvation. And those two things are powerful uh, motivators to a godly sanctified life. And then verse 14, I'm zipping through these, aren't I? Verse 14, chapter 2, says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from Every lawless deed, full stop. No. We just think there should be a full stop there. At least, you know, that's the way often we live our lives as Christians. God has redeemed us in Jesus Christ, full stop. That's it. Thank you very much. I'm on my way to heaven. But the God, uh, you know, Paul hasn't. Stopped. He hasn't finished yet. To purify for himself as his own special people zealous of good works. Now, he had to redeem us first. He had to save us first. He had to unite us to Christ first and give us the Holy Spirit. He says uh, here that he's poured the Holy Spirit upon us. We have everything that's necessary in order for us to live a life that is pleasing to God. But do we have the motivation? Do we have the understanding? Do we really uh, appreciate that God has saved us to be a special people in this world? 
zealous of good works. Let me underline here what I don't mean and then what I do mean. By good works, I don't mean works that you do under your own power, by your own merit, and in your own judgment. I don't mean that. Because good works, according to that definition, is that's part of the world. That's what the world calls good works. Okay? That's part of what you should be denying. Love not the world or the things that are in the world. So that's that. What I do mean by good works is that are those fruits, those things that you produce by yielding to the Spirit of God, by, uh, by bringing the Word of God to mind and acting upon it through the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Walking in the Spirit. Producing the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. An example of <clears throat> good works here, 3.8 This is a faithful saying and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And verse 14 says, Let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs. These are examples. That they may not be unfruitful. Look out for things to do, for places to serve. To serve God. And to serve God acceptably. Because remember, good works is not down to your definition of it, but to God's definition of it. And God's definition means those things that you do which are approved by the Holy Spirit. Are we compromising? That's That's the world. If it's full of you and it doesn't involve humility and humbling or waiting upon God, that's you. But if it comes from an overflow of compassion and love and it is targeted on that person because you know God loves them, whether they're saved, whether they're lost, you do good works, but you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's reason for saving us, according to verse 14, is that we should be a special people zealous of good works. Our, uh, sorry, where our zeal is, is a great indicator as to whether the spirit is in control. So, grace teaches us self-denial. Grace teaches us godly living. We couple that together with the expectation of the soon arrival, we hope, of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ, which produces in us a zeal 
for doing good while we're here. In conclusion then, we're not special in ourselves, but God wants us to be a special people for him. Because we have those things at hand that can make us special. What is it? Self-denial, living to the Spirit, loving God and man. We need to live for zeal, with zeal for him. That's what it comes down to. Zeal for him. And if we have that zeal in ourselves, that is a true indicator that all of these other things that I've listed are in place. Let's pray. Father, we have been saved and justified and that decision has been made in our behalf by you. But now we are to live a sanctified life. Help us, Heavenly Father, because the flesh wars against the Spirit. The our carnality the wars against our spirituality the voice of the world is so loud and the things that it presents to us are so pervasive that we must make a decision Father always to turn away from those things and look again at what you want Help us, Father, where you have us right now to do your will. And we trust, Heavenly Father, that if you want to move us or you want to take us somewhere else or you want to um, bring us into a, a different situation, then, Lord, then that's, that's up to you. Let us be open to that. The right now we have opportunities. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to deny ourselves, to humble ourselves, and to have zeal for you. Amen.